in the world today, we have enough resources to solve most human problems. We can build cities, hospitals all over the world if we use resources. But if you can script at all the money in the world, there's not enough money to build hospitals and housing all over the world and finance the education of students. But we do have enough teachers and enough buildings we can use for universities. We have the resources. Money is an interference because it limits our ability and it limits our dreams. Imagine the possibilities of an unprecedented mobilization of scientific and technical alliances toward problem solving without the interference of money or politics to initiate global unification and restoration. This could easily enable a high standard of living for all. This is what Jacques Fresco had in mind when he proposed a resource-based economy. If our planet ran out of resources, no matter how much gold or money or possessions you had, you could not survive. Our entire survival is based upon resources. The old world is ending. And we have the opportunity to rethink everything. This is a show about the systemic problems in our world. And the real solutions we have today to transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse. To create an abundantly advanced, collaborative society. That sustains all life. You may think it's an impossible dream. But the alternative is an inevitable nightmare. We're your hosts, Matt Holton, Amanda Smith, and Zachary Marlowe. And together, we can move past this economic absurdity and come together to actualize our collective potential to create something completely new. We are Mindless Society. So it's clear that the old system is failing. It's falling apart in real time. We don't really need to convince you. You just have to look at the world and be able to correlate all of the fuck-ups that you see going around you in the world and put them together into a synchronous narrative to understand it's not working. It's coming down. The old systems, the old way of life, the old social order, the old eco economic system, the political system, all these intertwined mechanisms for managing our resources and controlling our society and keeping us from blowing up are failing us. And so the big question, the question people ask me every day, well, what's the alternative? What's the solution? What can we do about it? And the term that we've come to, the movement, the vision, the alternative system that is the most coherent, the most uh, requisite for this moment and for the, the stakes that we are faced with is, as I, I believe, a resource-based economy, a term coined by Jacques Fresco, who's, who modeled it in the Venus Project, whose plans and blueprints and imaginings and scientific renderings and realistic uh, steps to create this world and create a new system that we can all transition into are, I still think, the greatest and the most sophisticated and advanced to date. So that's the topic of this, this day's episode. What is a resource-based economy? And so to answer that question, we've brought on a good friend who actually just flew here from uh, Singapore, uh, Abu Bakr Harakat who has started an organization he calls RBE United, Resource-Based Economy United. And so here, that's the topic of today's episode. We're ready to unite and take us there to that new place, that new system, that new way of life. So, Abu Bakr, 
Can you define what it is? Uh, what is a resource-based economy? So uh, it's an umbrella term um, that was put together by a man named Jacques Fresco, um, uh, laid back in the uh, 1960s as part of a project that was then called socio-cyberneering. And uh, the, uh, the term um, resource-based economy referred to this idea of an economic system that was based on the uh, natural resources of the land, wherein all the resources are considered common heritage of all the world's people. So um, another way of, um, I guess, another way of defining it would be to say that a resource-based economy is a socioeconomic alternative to the standard model of capitalist economics, or that uh, it's a uh, socioeconomic system wherein all uh, uh, all the foods and services are available to everyone uh, without the use of money, barter, debts, or servitude. So um, that's generally what it means. As far as how it is applied, that's a different matter entirely. <clears throat> and uh, that depends on the, um, on the uh, governance model that you use. And that's sort of a more uh, kind of technical thing that you, uh, technical challenge that you come across when you're talking about how to apply the idea of resource-based economy to the real world, like how would it actually look like? Uh, what sort of systems would be used to back it? Would it be something like cryptocurrency or uh, would it be something else? So, um, but all of that aside, a resource-based economy in general is an economy that is based on the uh, the resources of the of the land, of the world. And it is, um, uh, it is a model wherein all the resources are considered common heritage. So uh, there is no capital that is being, um, uh, say, um, invested or uh, accumulated anywhere. I, I like the term so much, and I think it, it is a starting point. It's a common like life ground that economics, as we know it, you know, comes from the term oikos, management of a household, and it, that's not what it's about. It's become the study of money. It's become the study of this abstract process of managing this, uh, you know, effluvium of debt and money and numbers in a computer that really doesn't have a physical referent in reality. It's not connected and tethered to the real resources of the earth. And, you know, the, the word resource doesn't just mean, you know, an inventory for exploitation. It means the relationships that we have to land, to wildlife, to our natural habitats, to the life generating real wealth of the world, which is currently being blown up and squandered and turned into, you know, dust to be turned into plastic, to be turned into numbers in a computer. You know, th that's what it that's what wealth is in this current uh, socioeconomic construct, which has nothing to do with real uh, the ability for us to fl to flourish and to foster, you know, real humanity and human values and to meet our needs. You know, that's the crazy thing that our economic system is life blind. It's blind to our needs. It's blind to the Earth's actual capacities. And that's why we're in this crippling resource overshoot and climate change, because we aren't, you know, uh, <laughs> we're not we're not playing with any uh the, the the abacus that we're using to make calculations is just completely untethered from the world. Right. Financial markets have absolutely nothing to do with um, with like the real world as it is. So you know, um, uh, like a tree is only uh, only has value for uh, uh, until from until you know there is a point that like you tear it down, you destroy it, and create products out of it. Before then, a tree has no value, and um, you know. In in that line of thinking, a human being also uh, and a human being in of itself has no actual value until that human being is applied within the economy to do some some laborious task or what have you.
And uh, that's generally how thing how you know life is looked at within you know the standard model. Um, and yeah, uh, the and our challenge is on how basically to <clears throat> uh, move from the current mo- uh, standard model to the alternative. So um, to take everything that we know, everything that we've learned, and and uh, kind of put it together to figure out a pathway and like stepping stones and milestones from where we are now to where we need to be. If I may interject here, um, my mind is racing with thoughts about what the world is like today and how grim it is. And anytime someone brings up a resource-based economy, uh, I, I feel a sense of relief and hope that, you know, obviously things could be a lot better. Um, you had told us that you were working on an RBE type uh, demo plan, if you will, correct me with more certain terms uh, when I'm finished, if you like, uh, and that you had wanted to um, launch this in the Philippines, I believe it was. And the whole time I'm, where we, we've been sitting here, I've been thinking about how in the news um, we, we learned a day, maybe two days ago, it's been now, that uh, Putin's magnum opus was uh, blown up, the, the Crimea Bridge, and how that may be um, taunting at nuclear war, as we've been told many times since the Russian invasion of Ukraine began. Um, and, and so with that in mind, and then us talking about the RBE, uh, the contrast that keeps coming to to me is how much more peaceful an RBE uh, environment would be. But that is really hard to achieve on a political thr- front, as you touched on um, a moment ago when you were explaining it, how to apply it in real life and how politics play a part in that. And I've been really curious what you've encountered uh, in the Philippines or where have you, where you've been trying to make a difference and make room and space to start this project. Right. Yeah. There's um. <clears throat> there isn't much we can do as uh, as far as like uh you know these big geopolitical issues like like Russia like you know what's happening between Russia and uh, and United States or the United States aggressing China and trying to start a global nuclear war for you know profit reasons. So the uh, but like it's we still have to continue operating despite like the threat of like a nuclear Armageddon. So. Uh, having said that, like in the Philippines, especially, I found that um, uh, that's where I was, by the way, for the last um, six months, um, basically um, uh, trying to answer this question of uh, what do we do from here on out? Like, so we have the understanding of what, you know, the problem is, generally speaking, you know, the problem that we're facing is an economic management problem. We, uh, we need to organize ourselves, organize our communities, organize these communities that are pro um um, um, uh, resource-based economics and you know holistic living and so forth and organize them uh, in uh, real life uh, into, into these real life uh, planned communities where they have the resources that they need and so forth in order to grow and in order to build the economy of the future <clears throat> so that's that's the question that, that uh, I was trying to answer and um, and I found that the Philippines is, is a great place to go as far as uh, putting putting a project like this together, despite like there are challenges and anywhere you try to set up shop, there are going to be challenges. Um, I, there are, I found, of course, legal challenges and so forth. But all that aside, 
Um, it is a place that is uh, very rich in resources. It is rich in fish resources. It is rich in, um, in a plethora of natural resources. Uh, there is uh, um, there are many communities of very industrious people who are you know very willing and able and excited to be part of such a vision. Everybody who uh, who I spoke to within local governments um, uh, and as well as uh, NGOs. Uh, like the idea of a um, uh, of a community of um, say uh, uh, of the what what they basically saw as green activists, but I really don't know exactly how to define the RBE the global RBE movement. You know as um, as anything other than just this like you know very wild movement of many different pieces and organizations and people operating sort of you know chaotically. Um, so because it's not one one leader you know, leader-led movement or anything like that. So, uh, but the the idea is to bring everybody together in one uh, one place to actually work and get things going. The Philippines would be a good place to do that uh, because uh, government, local government is supportive. Um, and uh, that's, uh, that's basically the question I was trying to ask is how do you go about achieving that? And I pretty much came across a number of roadblocks. Um, basically, most of them come down to the issue of uh, such a uh, such a vision would be very uh, uh, very expensive monetarily, and the first thing to try and figure out before moving forward is uh, how do you go about uh, financing it in the long term. But that's uh, that's one of the many kind of little issues that will be have to be dealt with along the way. So yeah, but I hope that answers kind of like the, the question there. To sort of pick up a thread there that about the the wars going on in the world, I mean, it's it's I mean, we're not going to go too deep into it because we don't want to get our channel stripped from us. Right. And if you uh, if you poke the bear enough and uh, go against the narrative that is favored, uh, basically just yeah. barreling us toward nuclear war and call for peace. I mean, everybody's for peace. Everybody says they're for peace. You know, it's like George Carlin said, uh, fighting for war is like screwing for peace. Everybody wants that. They say they want that. But they, you know, push for war at every turn. I mean, anything that goes against a war narrative, you know, the United States has had multiple opportunities to facilitate peace in those regions. And China uh, very early offered to uh, mediate peace talks between Ukraine and Russia. And the United States and NATO said no, because that directly goes against their bottom line. It goes against their interests and their largest industry, mm -hmm. their largest export to the world is armaments and war. And this really is one of the crucial uh, issues with the current system is that there is incentive for war. Mm -hmm. There is not an incentive for peace. There is not an incentive within a monetary system, a market system for abundance, for people being given the things that they need without the need to submit to labor, utilizing automation and machines and you know, more sophisticated egalitarian ecological practices like agroforestry that do not require as much constant activity and subjugation. And so, you know, that this system is very alien to uh, most people, and I'm sure to most governments whose idea of bettering their people and their situation, is, it comes about through growth, through economic growth and industrialization. And this is sort of the trap that the Chinese system, the Chinese Communist Party, has undertaken. And you know, uh, there's a dialectic, there's a you know a, a reasoning behind that, that they are 
uh, faced with this dominant economic force, the United States, the Western hegemony, and their path to developing against that and defending themselves is through global trade and global markets. And so, you know, the big questions of how do we transition to this sort of system on a global sense, I think is a question. You know, it's something we don't fully know. And I think it must be informed by a green activist movement that has its foundation in finding this opportunity wherever in the world we can go and in, in as many places as we can to form our own model communities that showcase just what we're talking about. To say, okay, governments, politicians, you say that your goal is to help the people. Well, what helps the people? Food, water, shelter, providing them the things that they need to live. You know, as Jacques Fresco said many times, people don't want money. We don't want economic growth. We want the happiness of our people. We want to be able to thrive and flourish, and we want to be able to have food in our stomach. We want to be able to access the things that that money is exactly. merely a, a middleman to keep that keeps it, us away from. Yeah, and uh, by the way, I don't. Uh, I also I don't think that the transition. Um, a two, this alternative system is going to happen uh, basically as a um, as one massive step, a one one uh, uh, sort of um, uh, planned um, uh, movement forward. Like it's um, uh, the uh, the idea. That, you know, I've thought about this quite a bit. Is uh, the idea that of uh, of having this uh, transition that is immediate, where um, everybody just uh, suddenly kind of moves forward towards this um, uh, this alternative vision. Uh, would would be so chaotic that like when and not not to kind of step into the realm of conspiracy theory or whatever because you know there's a lot of very wild ideas that are that are unfounded but when you look now to um, you know uh, for example the Davos talks um, I'm pretty sure you guys might be familiar with the the World Economic Forum the stuff that they're saying as far as um, <clears throat> As a, a, a controlling, you know, global supply chains, and you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, using. Um, uh, I don't want to say anything that might get the channel taken down because there, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of pushback against any, anything that might seem conspiratorial or what have you. But a, a lot of the the things that are coming out of, uh, say, the World Economic Forum, as far as their plans for controlling um, uh, the global supply chains, as far as and uh, the. Uh, 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 controlling uh, food production and um, having uh, members of their um, uh, the World Economic Forum purchasing a tremendous amount of, of farmland and so forth, it makes it seem to me that any kind of move to uh, purchase a lot of farmland and then do some sort of alternative uh, ecological sustainability and you know living movement will probably draw a lot of attention and might. Um, uh, be stopped uh, via you know legal action and so forth. So uh, the uh, the way that I foresee uh, this movement moving forward is by people independently purchasing uh, large uh, amounts of land and then doing um, planned communities on these pieces of land, and then that would uh, that would incentivize other people to do the same. And over a long period of generational time, you might end up at um, uh, more structured communities that are using full-blown uh, resource-based systems to then take the resources that they're making and then redistribute them uh, across. Um, but that, that's just something that that you know I foresee could be wrong, of course. 
Well, but but uh, you're brave to to look that far ahead, and you make a point that I hadn't heard anyone else make in regards to that simultaneous um, uh, step forward, uh, such as um, you know the TPP asserts that that is the only way that that we can all move into a resource based economy is to do it globally all at once. But you said that would be way too chaotic. That would be way too much all at the same time, pretty much in most general terms. And I hadn't heard anyone point that out before, and I have to admit I hadn't thought about it that way either. And that makes perfect sense. Uh, While we don't want to advocate for incrementalism and say that it's okay if this takes decades upon decades upon decades to happen, because obviously it would seem that we don't have that kind of time. Um, It is more practical to accept the fact that it can't happen all at once, let alone overnight, um, and that it is going to happen in steps. That's why it's called a transition. and um, in my head, if I may share what I, I foresee could possibly happen, uh, is basically um, a situation in which we uh, start influencing the feedback loop uh, significantly enough that the feedback we're getting as the population, uh, you know, turns into what it is that we are seeking. So basically, uh, similar to what you were describing, where it starts out as uh, smaller communities in contrast to a global community. Um are making these changes and you know it, it pollinates and so now you have nodes all over the globe that are living in these ways as much as, to the farthest point that they can in the current system to the point that this system has to start giving in to that way of life or everything you know goes one way or the other it gets uh, really bad or it gets a lot better mm-hmm. well i think it's it's like um the idea of a top-down transition frightens people and that's one of the reasons why people are so um, affronted by the the uh, agenda 21 and the things that the imf talks about and their new world order reset agenda and all that stuff yeah all this (laughs) stuff that doesn't really it's just it's just like basically half-assed ways to keep capitalism going and that those organizations don't really have the power that we think they do because really the chaos of the market is so dispersed and power is so um it's consolidated in a very few number of hands but it's still um very chaotically uh spread around the world into the people who have the money's hands and not the people not any group or council or uh, you know elite and so the idea of transitioning globally all at once in this top-down way you know whether it's stewarded by scientists or or not you know i don't think the general population is going to go for that really i think it has to be a ground up, inclusive, connected movement where the people are participating in this. Now, I do think that it's needed, vital, it's vitally needed and necessary for us to make big picture, global, international transformations quickly. I mean, it's it's going to have to happen eventually as yeah. the climate tears us apart, we are going to transform in one way or another and we could transform into some kind of horrible eco-fascist nightmare that's mm-hmm. highly likely, or we could, if pushed by a people's movement and uh, an educated population that calls for it, that rejects the austerity that will be imposed upon us by, you know, farmers having their uh, water supplies taken from them when colla- things start collapsing, or you know, people being ushered into cities, or people being made, uh, you know, unnecessary. Basically, governments saying, you know, you're your uh you know livelihood is not necessary anymore or you must leave your you know what i i can't 
I can't go that deep into the imagining of what the fuck is going to happen. I can. I just don't want to. It's, <laughs> Wait, it's that's dark. a separate show, it's right? Very, and very dark. dark. You know, people plugged into a, a metaverse that detracts, that distracts them from what they're doing as they're, you know, plugged into an ever more abstracted, ephemeral economy of pure likes themselves with currency that's so decoupled and so consolidated in so few hands that it is an almost anti-resource-based economy where the money in our world becomes less and less, you know, substantial and more and more elusive and weird. And, you know, the, the authoritarian uh, ability for governments and states and state powers and city states and fiefdoms run by corporations can grab up and gobble the resources as they please. Yeah. But I see another alternative there, and that's the people coming together and forming these communal movements, uh, starting from that strong point of not needing the existing system, of being able to meet their needs without it. And that gives them a platform to organize upon. And if we can show people around us, look, we're living in an easier, better, cleaner, safer, healthier, and more fun way, they're not going to want what the government is offering or not offering, is demanding, and they're not going to comply. And I think that's a very important shift as an educator and as a creator and as a builder, anyone listening, anyone watching, anyone in this movement, which is a movement. I do see people like our, like yourself, Abu Bakr, around the world with this uh, impulse to create these communities based upon the ecological concerns as a new kind of activism. Peter Joseph has talked about that before, his networked activist approach, and that activism of shaking signs and slogans is utterly ineffectual, you know, uh, getting carried off by some you know, police officers screaming about how we need to just stop oil, as I've seen a clip going around, is not activism. It's just noise, and it, it, it feeds the, uh, the, con the contrast of the establishment narrative. Right. Activism is building an alternative. Activism is building change, and I think that's you know, what you're working on as well. Right, and uh, I think the, uh, <clears throat> as far as the, the whole, uh, you know, Peter Joseph also uh, mentioned something in one of his uh, films, which is uh, no conspiracy required. And uh, I think that's kind of what you're alluding yeah. to there is that like uh, there there doesn't need to be an active conspiracy between, you know, very powerful people for the things uh, uh, that we're seeing to transpire, you know, for, uh, for example, for there to be starvation all over the world while we waste, you know, half of the cal uh, of the ca aggregate calories that we are, you know, making planet wide. Um, so th there is there is that, uh, and yeah, there are there are forces out there that are indeed conspiring, and it's you know the idea that you know a small group of people are going to be able to successfully take over the world is a little ludicrous, regardless of how much money you they have. They're called corporations, right? And politicians, well, they're in the same bed, so one is the same as the other, I suppose. Right. So like it's uh, it's not possible regardless of how much money or political influence you have, because there is just too many. There are too many things happening, too many people, too many cultures, too many differences between people to, you know, be controlled, you know, like cattle. Um, and yeah, like all of the these things that are happening are also pushing people to look for alternatives. And uh, everywhere you go, people are, are looking for that alternative, whether they know it or not. They are seeking that, <clears throat> you know, RBE alternative you know, or whatever in their head is, is something that's going to, uh, to change the, the world order that's going to um, uh, that's going to change things for them at the personal level. And, um, and uh, everyone is uh, working towards it, but they are not working in an organized fashion. So um, with the things, for example, like uh, Garden, which is uh, one of, um, you know, a number of, uh, of such developments, I know, uh, Aravana project, 
has uh, something similar in South America. Um, uh, and um, there are obviously a number that I might not know about that you guys might be familiar with of other de uh, developing eco-villages all over the world and other smaller plant communities that are trying to find ways to kind of uh, make life better for their denizens. Uh, what we're trying to do, of course, is different in that um, this is specific to resource-based economy. So we're <clears throat> not just trying to find another uh, a nice place to live necessarily, but also a place to work on how to develop other eco-villages and how to assist other communities and people uh, such as uh, indigenous uh, people, for example, uh, from uh, the, our area of operation, which would be the Philippines and Palawan, and assisting them in building their own ecological villages. So, um, and uh, sorry for my voice there, um, <clears throat> was sick a few days ago. But um, uh, in assisting uh, these uh, these communities in uh, building their own villages and then having all of these villages operating uh, together through some sort of uh, cryptocurrency token in order to share resources and share uh, information and knowledge uh, amongst themselves. And of course, the, the development of these subsystems like this, uh, such a cryptocurrency uh, token is uh, other work that's uh, other other stuff that's in the works, but it requires much more, you know, uh, much more attention and also much more money in order to uh, to put these uh, tokens together and create smart contracts and so forth, as I'm pretty sure a lot of people uh, within RBE community understand. So it's uh, it's quite a bit of, uh, of work, and that's the, the challenging part about it, is uh, uh, also is not only in uh, drawing people's attention and drawing the attention of uh, local leaders and um, uh, local government, but also in being able to do something that's going to uh, bring uh, funding from the outside in to, uh, to such a project. Uh, especially projects taking place in the global south where there is not that that much in terms of monetary resources to draw from from those smaller governments but in no matter how you slice it like uh, this is uh, this is the way things are going uh, people are moving towards these alternative systems uh, I think it's a lot smaller scale now than it will be in the future, uh, but definitely uh, any of us now working on how to put these things together are kind of at the forefront of what the future of uh, local uh, governance and, um, and uh, uh, communities are going to be like. But, you know, that's at least that's the way I foresee things, uh, seeing kind of like how uh, society is sort of slowly deteriorating and the uh, financial systems are breaking down and asking, well, if um, if the global all the global financial markets were to fail, you know, uh, soon, if the global monetary uh, system was to fail, what would happen next? Right. Like then uh, people are going to need uh, they can't just disappear. They're going to need some alternative economy to fall into. So if uh, we begin in establishing at least the basic framework of such a system, then it'll be there when it's needed. A bit of backtracking, but I wanted to point out an irony in all that Marla was saying, and a bit of what you were saying, Bobby. Um, I find it amusing that people would be so resistant to some form of top-down transition into uh, a socioeconomic environment that would literally save our lives and the planet, because obviously we're already allowing people to make decisions about life and death, uh, to, to blow the world up to smithereens, to uh, churn every bit of uh, our ecological resources into something consumable and, uh, and marketable. Um, so. So yeah, I just wanted to point that out because that always catches me off guard. Like, why why do we allow people to do that? 
you know, how, why do we allow people to represent us and make those kinds of decisions, but a top down, quote unquote, top down transition into something that would literally save scores and scores of people and, uh, and species and the planet itself, you know, but no, I agree that it does need to be a grassroots movement because even if we had a quote unquote, top down transition of sorts like that, it would be ineffectual without people realizing these things for themselves on a personal and even cellular level. Uh, we've got to do, we, we've got to shift the paradigm. And, and if we don't do that, then we're just doing more of the same that we're doing now, which is taking orders and going in whatever direction our influencers tell us to go. I was going to say that people accept it or people would be against it because they're indoctrinated to think that they're not under a one world government of capital in a totalitarian vice grip that is strangling the life out of us every single day, taking more and more and more of our freedom and autonomy in every single aspect of our lives. We are right. free, right? Mm. We're in the freest country in the world. Free we have a democracy. We have labor. a thriving, robust democracy, and, right? Yeah. That's what people think. That That is one of our most important roles is to smash that. And by the way- And to smash people's belief uh, in that. When it, so when it comes to, <clears throat> specifically to governance and like, uh, so people, you know, when uh, when we talk about like an alternative, an alternative economy and so forth, uh, the question always comes up, well, who makes the decisions? And that's a completely valid question. <clears throat> so, uh, uh, but uh, who makes the decisions? This is a uh, this is a question that's going to be answered by uh, different groups of people in different ways. It doesn't have to be one. It, it's not just one answer. Who makes the decisions? Uh, well, we're going to have a king, and that's going to be the governance model. And that's all there is. Maybe like in a in a uh, new world, uh, a new world of, uh, of human beings organizing themselves and creating, um, you know, new governments and, you know, what, what have you. Uh, maybe one group of people does decide to go the route of fascism. Maybe one group of people does decide to go the route of uh, monarchy or one group of people does decide to go the route of representative democracy or whatever. Um, <clears throat> uh, there has to be uh, room for everyone to kind of uh, uh, to go their own route and, uh, and to be happy with the governance model that they've selected for themselves. So um, uh, one uh, person in popular media that's, uh, that says this a lot and um, uh, is uh, Russell Brand. So Russell Brand has uh, is obviously really popular right now, and uh, he has a, a channel, and he uh, sometimes talks about these uh, these issues, and he'll say things like, you know, uh, well we'll have a, we have to have an, uh, you know a world where you know I can do I can do be whatever I want, you can be whatever you want, and I think uh, any kind of uh, any kind of a, a world where um, we can all live. Um, you know, tolerate each other, live alongside each other, and like and, and live a, a lives without you know threat of war, and economic uh, sanctions, and all these uh, these geopolitical problems. It would have to be a world that allows people to uh, to try out different uh, uh, different governance models and to pick whatever they want. So uh, maybe uh, once uh, you might have an eco village that does decide to go the route of fascism, for example. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine it, but maybe something like that does happen. Uh, the system that you are building has to uh, be able to take that and uh, and take the fact that you have you know people who want to go and live a fascist lifestyle, but not break down, and to, to be able to tolerate different approaches and different governance models. 
but uh, again that's that's uh, that's something that i that that i think would uh, uh would have to be um would have to be taken into account that you're gonna have different people uh you're gonna have uh, people like uh, the boogaloo boys for example who want to you know carry around firearm you can have uh you know evangelical christians and and so forth you can have uh, many different cultures and different people and they all have to be able to play by their own rules uh, within this global system without uh, the system breaking down i think part of the problem and the reason that our global system is breaking down is it's decentralized in all the wrong ways and not in the right ways. It's culturally dispersed, and we live in this individualized paradigm that says that your individual personal expression trumps everything else. And I think that that's um, an attitude that needs to be evolved beyond. We need to understand that a capitalist, you know, so to say like, oh, somebody, we, we need to have, if somebody wants to be a capitalist, you know, we need to give them the freedom to do that. But being a capitalist means you have the personal freedom yourself to exploit other people's and take their freedom away in a zero sum game. I think, you know, you talk about the Boogaloo boys, they're pretty fascist in their, in their, you know, desires and their drives. The, the Christian right is very fascist in their desires. And uh, many of these whole identities merely exist to be a smokescreen and uh, sort of like a distraction or a mythology to perpetuate you know, blind acceptance of capital, you know, accumulation and domination and these, bl- these, these massive systematic forces that people don't even see, can't see, can't touch, much like a god that rule our lives on sheer belief. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, a very difficult question of how do we approach overcoming that? You know, the answer is, the ideal answer is, of course, education. We educate people so that they're more able to function on a, a daily basis and, and evolve out of those values. And I think that the biggest piece of that, the biggest component we come back to is people must see an alternative and experience it. It can't be hypothetical in the same way that our monetary system is based upon nonsense, you know, a, an assumption, a promise, you know, this thing that we believe in that I can take my money out of my wallet and, and you know, it, that it has value. Mm-hmm. But that's a belief. It's a very superstitious notion. Um, and I just think it's so silly that anybody could look at what we're talking about and say it's naive. And it's like, brother, you believe in money. You believe money is real. That is the <laughs> most superstitious bullshit works. imaginable. <laughs> right? Yeah, you think trickle-down economics works, and that we live in a democracy, and that you know, it's, just, it, it's all fantasy. And we need to rapidly evolve out of that. And I think the way to do that is – to learn by doing. Most people learn, learn by, by doing. doing. By example. I think about like that, 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 you know, sort of a perspective of like a World War II level transformation that a lot of people accepted forms of sacrifices through a war, you know, in an authoritarian way. And I'm not, of course, calling for an authoritarian transition, but um, people did accept it and they, they were proud of it. And I think about the book Ecotopia a lot where they intentionally crashed their economy and and installed what they call a survival economy. And they talk about how the people in that society were, uh, they had to tighten their bootstraps or their, uh, their shoestrings or whatever. They had to make do with less. They had to struggle and make sacrifices. But ultimately, if people are participating in the building of a new world, they're going to accept those sacrifices. And it's going to be with a thrill, with a sense of adventure. And 
and with you know it's like the reason people go to see horror movies because they they need a little bit of that adrenaline in their lives to feel that they're still alive you know we are lacking that we are lacking that sense of connection and adventure and you know the struggle the real struggle in our lives you know we have to spook ourselves with fake skeletons once a year just to remind ourselves that our heart is still beating you know <laughs> yeah, that is an exciting thing right like the uh, that's an is an exciting thing like the prospect of actually you know, building an alternative the prospect of building um, you know a new system <clears throat> that is uh, very exciting like um, you know when you think about it and um, and uh, that's kind of the opportunity that we would be giving people if uh, we put our minds together into developing these um, <clears throat> these platforms for building the alternative is that uh, you're giving people the opportunity to uh, not just uh, maybe um, uh, you know change their uh, their personal lives for the better. Say um, if you're operating somewhere in the global south where you might be able to to give people a better standard of living by working with you, but uh, you're also helping build uh, something for generations to come, um, something that's going to inspire people to build us uh, similar products, you know, similar um, product is the wrong word, but uh, like uh, say similar townships, um, you know, uh, or build upon it, you know, build, uh, uh, add uh, solar systems in the future and so forth. And um, you're giving people like a multi-generational projects to operate uh, within so I agree yeah what what we build today uh, in all hopes will benefit someone tomorrow so to speak um, so you were mentioning Russell Brand and we we're talking about leadership and politics Marla's talking about connection and you know you're talking about excitement and there's the mention of, of adrenaline and I'm thinking how exciting would it be to get somebody like Russell Brand roped into one of these conversations um, so often uh, myself and I've heard Marla mention it too it, it frustrates us to see people such as Russell with the platform that he has come so close to opening up that dialogue on his platform about what if money wasn't a thing mm -hmm. you know a lot of these personalities like jason i want to want to say jason hickle uh you know he's got the books he's got the twitter and he's got all the right ideas never heard him say what if money wasn't a thing everybody comes so close mm -hmm. um, but i'm bringing up russell brand because he made a tweet recently and it said do we have the right systems and leaders in place to change the world i think the answer is obvious uh mine slash mosos reply to that was do we need leaders in the conventional sense or do we need to do away with the hierarchical structures inherently removing class stratification and laying the foundation for true equality and democracy Hey, I sent Russell Brand an email myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I did. I'll I cross did, my fingers for you. <laughs> that's right. I did send uh, send the emails out to uh, people that I thought would be interested in the uh, in the work that we're doing with uh, uh, RBE United and, and uh, building the uh, the Garden uh, Eco Village and Research Center. And um, and uh, it was him and a number of other people that I thought might be interested. But um, you would. Yeah, you would think individuals who are uh, looking for the alternative um, ought to um, advertise uh, that alternative. But uh, but I think it's also like a, with uh, popularizing this idea, um, you know, it's uh, it, it'll be uh, easier uh, once uh, once there are more you know uh, popular people talking about it, such as Russell Brand. But it's also just uh, getting the uh, a large number of people uh, within uh, within social media kind of uh, bouncing these ideas back and forth would be enough to um, to maybe spark spark a, a uh, global conversation. The issue with uh, connecting with these celebrities, these people in this sort of big platform, this this 
who have this real power to train change people's lives with one sentence uttered on their large show and things like that um is that it, it, it all gets back into the one of the main problems with the class structure that negatively affects rich people is that there's very few rich people compared to the non-rich and so they live in a small community they live in a small world that's isolated and in some senses has to be because you know you can't just open your doors to all these millions of people that you know have this parasocial relationship with you where you know they know your name they know all about you you know nothing about them and it would probably break your mind to like have this x-men like charles xavier like connection of empathy and understanding of all these people's lives mm. it would blow your head it literally up literally would you know and so we are often kept from ideas that you know would enlighten us and, and would, would free us and, and would inspire and excite us because they simply aren't able to penetrate through that structure. You're not able to get through the agents and the you know organization and the emails. I mean, people like that get millions of emails a day or I don't know how many emails they get, but they get tons of, of people trying to get their ear and pitch something and sell something to them and ride their coattails. Mm -hmm. And this is a, one of the main issues with wealth is that, and it's why it, it insulates people's minds and it rots their brains is because you need to shut yourself off to more and more and more percentage of humanity so that you can focus on just keeping your mental space clear. And, you know, you know, no like if you're the wealthy can't trust really money is antitrust. It's the most antitrust thing in the world. Every time you use money, you're reinforcing the story that we are separate. Our needs are separate. Our intentions and goals and lives and existences are separate. Every time you do it. You just wonderfully described how social media isn't, uh, a tool of connection, uh, saying that you have to cut yourself off more and more from people and how the, uh, especially the hierarchy, uh, uh profiles, if you will, such as, uh, celebrities, um, you know, how they are inundated with outreach and that is physically and emotionally impossible to completely capacitate. And that causes you to shut people out. Uh, yeah, social media is the opposite of connection in that sense, actually. And uh, it's just part of the, uh, the psyop that, uh, that we're being fed to make us believe and feel like we're actually connected just because we can talk to Bobby here from somewhere else in the world. That's great when we take it to that level. But on the surface, everyone's just given a little stage and told that they're making a difference and they're actually making connections. And ultimately, it's a marketplace where we're competing. We're competing for likes. We're competing for mm -hmm. comments and attention and engagement. A form of currency. And all of that is ultimately, you know, yeah, it's a currency. It's it and it, it's. I, I was thinking about this the other day that, you know, and I mentioned, you know, kind of danced around this dystopian future where that is the currency that we are fighting over over each other for, you know, and it doesn't exist at all. It has no reference to anything. It's not a measure of anything. It's just literally like glut, a glutinous uh, uh, attention. It's just like attention and uh, credibility that people will say, oh, he has a lot of likes. He must be doing something right. Mm -hmm. you know. And that's, that's very toxic to us on a social level. And I'm sure that people in the 1% or the celebrity class or whoever, whatever they are, would like to be able to trust more, would like to be able to live in a world where they don't have to go around with bodyguards and managers and all these people keeping them from that. And that's an unfortunate side effect of our society that worships the individual so heavily that great artists and great thinkers and speakers and ideas aren't able to move through society efficiently because of the mm -hmm. regressive algorithmic sort of flow of information and the inability for uh, brilliant people to be able to, you know, we don't have a mechanism that's looking for good ideas. You mm -hmm. know, I, I just recorded a really beautiful interview with this 
total genius old friend of mine who's like an expert in, in AI. And he just knocked it out of the park, just explaining like this current state of AI and it's, it's the problems with it and you know, how it's all this, it's it exists today. Very intelligent uh, machines are watching us, you know, tracking us at our every move or every facial expression or every impression and using that for the power consolidation of these multinational fiefdoms, these corporations. And he just blew my mind with all this stuff about like nanotechnology merging with AI to create, you know, augmented humanity and like superpowers and all this really like attainable stuff. And then at the end of the interview, he was just like, we like hung, stopped recording. And he was like, yeah, it really sucks that like I work at a fucking grocery store and can't find a job doing anything in this field. And it's like, you're a genius. Yeah. You're working at a fucking grocery store. Yeah. This is the ultimate subterfuge of our resources, our human resources, that we have geniuses bagging groceries. Yeah. And it just makes me want to fucking scream. <clears throat> it makes me want to shake people. It makes me want to cry every time I go to a restaurant or a store and I see a human being who is capable of conceiving entire worlds, who is in the right circumstance able to connect with that inner genius, that inner inventor, that inner Jacques Fresco that could sit down and envision a whole new world and how to get there and all the machines to do it. And yet that person is just buried in debt and scar tissue in the brain and stress and a lack of education and awareness and life experience. And that's because of our economic system. Chained to us, of this. A, a wage slave system. And impressive people are, are all all over the world. I mean, everywhere you go, uh, like um, I always come across like a, you know people who are just like fascinating. Uh, you know, really smart at, at in one field or another. Uh, sometimes it's uh, in the technical field, for example, uh, fishing or farming and so forth. You have uh, all of these uh, like really amazing people. Um, yeah, and uh, all of them basically, um, uh, us, I shouldn't say them, I said we, everyone, all of us are fighting in this uh, kind of a rat race system uh, where we're, um, <clears throat> the, we're always uh, just chasing to make the next dollar so that we can survive um, whatever, whatever it is you happen to be doing. Uh, it's always um, uh, wrapped around this very kind of self-centered and short-sighted game of just making enough money to you know make the next batch of money you know people are working in order to survive in order to wake up and then go to work again and uh it's yeah like you say a tremendous amount of mental capital being wasted because um if uh, a a sensible economy would take all of this mental capital and take all this labor and then place it in areas where the where it's going to generate the most benefit to society and yeah, like uh, since our system, the one we happen to be born into, isn't that, uh, we have to create uh, something else to transition into. Uh, the challenge now is, um, you know, with uh, uh, creating something that, that we are going to transition into, that itself, uh, I found uh, the biggest roadblock is it requires a tremendous amount of monetary resources to actually, to actually do it. So, um, uh, so what I find is um, uh, there are a number of groups of people that are in their own individual ways trying to sort of, um, um, you know, push the envelope, uh, create something new, but they're all stuck in the same system and they're all stuck in either waiting for grants or, um, you know, uh, just uh, fighting to make ends meet or, um, you know, their members trying to, uh, fighting to make ends meet. And the only way to overcome this is by bringing people together uh, in one physical place, uh, one fully funded, uh, one fully funded center, something to that, something to that effect that's going to allow individuals to actually, you know, apply their craft, apply the, their ideas and so forth 
into uh, real life tangible services that we can all use and we can all like uh, uh, be a part of. Um, I think uh, cryptocurrency goes a long way towards making this uh, making this a reality. Um, you know, uh, we've uh, talked to um, an, you know uh, an individual just uh, ourselves last time, um, Remzi uh, uh, Bajirami, uh, who's uh, you know came up with a really uh, amazing um, accountability uh, model, and I'm not going to speak too much about it here because I think people should go and watch that episode with him talking about it to understand it in more detail. But uh, creating these alternative technical systems that can run uh, full uh, societies. And um, and uh, if we don't kind of like, you know, all come together and work on it, um, I think it's a great missed opportunity. But in order for us to come together and work on it, we'll also require a tremendous amount of monetary resource fundraising and so forth, which I think the community can ultimately achieve. It's just going to take the right amount of, uh, of I think, the right leadership and the right, um, you know, the right kind of push, you know, the, the right kind of social uh, social push and social um uh, um, intrinsic uh, desire for it to happen, and I, I don't think that 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 desire exists yet. I think it existed back with the Occupy movement back in two thousand eight. I think it's coming back, but that's the sort of uh, of um, energy that we're going to need to kind of uh, take a step forward on these projects. And there are a lot of them at this point. Yeah, I was just going to say that the amount of resources we need really pales in comparison to the amount that people feed into charities trying to you know give people a peanut butter and jelly sandwich who are living on the street or whatever the ways of perpetually suturing the wound the gaping and unending and perpetually reopening wound that's just being stabbed repeatedly by this automatic stabbing machine that stabs faster and more all the time that is capitalism that's killing us and cutting us apart and causing more problems every second of every day you know that of a machine, it, you know, we have all this. We have this charity industrial complex, the nonprofit industrial complex of all these groups and organizations and charitable individuals and philanthropists that care. They clearly care. They clearly see that there are problems in the mm -hmm. world. It's not that they don't have a heart. It's just that it's being. They're not seeing that it's a systematic process. That all their energy and resources are not going into more effect, efficacious and efficient means of providing people with the thing that they're most lacking. Mm -hmm which as a person who has spent hundreds of hours of my life feeding unhoused neighbors, you know, uh, volunteering and donating and, you know, well, not donating money, but because I never had any of that, but donating my time and energy to helping people, the thing people really need isn't even just housing. It isn't, isn't, it isn't even just food. It, it's never, you know, like giving, giving a, a sandwich to a, an unhoused person is always like kind of more beneficial to the person giving than it is to the person getting. And that might sound crazy, but it's because, you know, you can always find food, you know, it, it's, it's hard to find. It sucks to be hungry, but like what people really need is society. People really need community. They need wraparound services, mental health. They need to be uh, given a sense of purpose and, and self-esteem yeah. and value. They need to be given uh, room to grow and expand. They need community. They need safety. They need all kinds of things that you just can't give them piecemeal. You can't disperse it into a million different little charities to fix the issue that is not even discussed, which is the system itself. It's just what we're trying to create as one of those <laughs> organizations in that nonprofit industrial complex trying to expand out our organization to become a mechanism of allowing people to help people 
in an online and a dispersed way and giving people, you know, a resource hub where they can meet each other and share skills and information and knowledge and care and support and, you know, create groups for uh, ther group therapy and, you know, um, like cap capitalist anonymous <laughs> where we can, uh, you know, move past our values and, and uh, educate each other and, and help each other out as many in as many ways we can share resources, but also, you know, work to um, expand this, this advocacy network and this product that we're selling, which is a worldview and a, and a hope that there is a better way to live to ultimately raise the funds and the people necessary and the resources, the human resources to make these communities happen. And I think that's the drive that we really need to put more and more and more effort into and bring more and more people like yourself together, Abu Bakr, so that we can um, make that transition happen. That we can build institutions and structures and social systems that can make these things happen. And, you know, even one person, one very rich person could go so far to make that happen. Instead of donating, you know, X percentage of their salary every month of, every, you know, whatever, they can, you know, help us get land in this lump sum and we can work together to make it into something that will perpetually regenerate and that will perpetually provide that ROI, that return on investment, which is human betterment which is innovation, which is saving people from suicide and depression and alienation and creating community and growing food and you know meeting all these needs simultaneously in this new way that we're sitting under. We see the potential. We see the possibility. We just don't have the money to do it. We don't have the resources. We don't have the attention of society. And th that starts, I think, by telling that story in a bigger and better way and connecting with people like RB, Russell Brand, baby, get on our show. Come on. What are you waiting for? On the on the topic of charity, uh, a little side note, since we uh, are approaching the holidays, they, they are upon us just around the corner. Um, another uh, message to our listeners, I would challenge you if you're going to donate to charity, don't donate a turkey or a cheap $5 toy. And I'm sorry if I sound horrible in saying that, but people don't need religious inclusion they need their light bill paid or help with their rent or their medicine bought or a load of firewood or something like that uh, every time charity's brought up i just think about what i met with when i talk about what if we didn't even need charity it's uh beyond amusing to try and tell someone what a resource-based economy would look like in terms of obsoleting the need for charity i've even been told well that just can't be People have to suffer. That's natural. If there's no charity, then nobody will care for anyone. No, actually, it'd be the opposite. Everybody would be equally equally cared for because everybody would be equally valued. But that that's just kind of like a little side tangent. So again, with the holidays upon us, if you're going to participate in charity, please do your best to make sure it is direct aid or mutual aid. And it is something that is going to actually lift that person or that family up in some way. Yeah, and um, uh, again, if uh, if you're able and willing, and um, um, would like to look at RBE United's project, um, we have opened a uh, Give Send Go, which is a um, um, it's similar to GoFundMe, but we opted not to use GoFundMe because um, GoFundMe and uh, PayPal both um, uh, canceled uh, on uh, two. Uh, two anti-establishment, um, you know, uh, protests that were taking place, one in Canada, you might remember trucker protests. So mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, it, 
uh, they got canceled on by GoFundMe. So there is also a bit of like a political theater taking place with these fundraising sources. Um, but we uh, opted to go with uh, one called um, Give, Send, Go um, for uh, RBE United uh, to try and uh, get the funding necessary to build our eco-village. Um, so that's on our website, and uh, the website is RBE United, all one word, rbeunited.org. Um, so that's uh, basically the way we see things uh, moving forward is uh, by uh, just kind of uh, raising funding on our own and then applying it to, towards the development of planned communities. And uh, personally, um, that's the way I imagine uh, the transition to take place is uh, to take place gradually uh, through the development of these decentralized communities that are all working in tandem to kind of uh, to build the uh, the economy of the future and the services of the future. So um, uh, and that's uh, that's the way that I, I firmly believe it's going to take hold. It's going to take a lot of uh, small, um, small decentralized communes of people operating together. So whether that's garden or which is the name of the community that we're putting together or whether it is something else. Um, uh, it is. Uh, I recommend that people uh, also uh, look to doing this for themselves and to uh, starting their own communities if they have the uh, willingness to do so and the resources to do so. I just uh, appreciate your shared intention and um, as my friend Travis Grant says often, your commitment to our shared direction. Uh, I, just, I just couldn't help but think that we need many examples and we need to show people this. We need to create we're all racing toward the same goal, which seems, you know, so attainable and so close at hand, yet so di so distant of building this little microcosm, this minimum viable product of the world we all know is possible. And, you know, I just I just can't help but think that when that day comes that we're able to create that, that as the George Floyd protests, which was one of the largest waves of protest in human history or American history, um, were sparked by an image an image that just had a mimetic resonance and an emotional power in it and a potency that it struck people in their hearts and it, it showed them without the need for many words, you know, three words, I can't breathe, you know, that's, that's all it took for everybody who saw that video to know where they stood on it, you know, and a lot of people were broken out of their dream of thinking things are better than they are when they saw that. And I wonder, how can we create the positive version of that? How can we create an image of life, of humanity living together, coming into its true potential, standing up straight and tall, maturing into its adulthood to see that beautiful social organism, that community, that structure, those windmills, those uh, dome-shaped housing, whatever it is, this, that image that will break people out of their dream that makes them tolerate driving an hour and a half in their shitty little box car, you know, to go to their job that they hate, that, that makes them suffocate every day with the, from, a, from the lack of humanity and connection and not knowing their neighbors, of, you know, huge percentages of Americans who say they don't have one friend. That is a tragedy. That is a, a holocaust, a social holocaust that we should not tolerate. And if people can see there is another way, and, no, and there's no argument for that. There's no way to say uh, people would be lazy. People would be the, some one person would, uh, you know, take advantage, like, you know, there's all these projections. 
of the existing society. None of those things can hold up to just seeing humanity laughing and smiling and playing in a better way. And so that's where we're at, you know, and I have to say that I've muscled through this episode with my mind constantly preoccupied with all of the pains that come from not living in this world, from living very much in a monetary system, in a nonsense-based economy, in a system that is anti-human in all ways. That's that's what I, I just can't, I'm, I'm very distracted and hurt inside every day that I live in this world because I don't have this community and I see that it's possible. And that makes it harder in some ways to function and to go through the motions of being a fucking person and watching TV and eating food and pretending like everything's fine when I know it's not. And it, and you know, you, you bring that up to people and they think that they, all they hear is the negative when partially it's the, it's, it's the, our responsibility as communicators to convey and go, get them quickly past the bullshit that they don't want to look at, that they've suffered through every day in ignorance, that things could be better. Things could be better. That is the most radical thought we can think. That is the that is the the slogan that needs to go through the the Occupy movement of the future. Not fuck this bad thing. No, things could be much better. And that's what I want all of you watching to go out there and bring into reality. To say screw this system. Here is what we want to do, and uh, to always present the alternative to uh, each complaint. Yes, yes, we have to bring up solutions. Can't just complain, but man, does it feel good, doesn't it? Of course. Abu Bakr, do you have any closing statements? Um, let's see. Well, um, in closing, I'll just say um, <clears throat> nothing good is going to happen unless we um, take some actionable steps and make it happen. And um, uh, we can make the world, the future better than the past. And we know how to do it. And we, uh, our community has the right people, has the right assets, the right minds, uh, the right labor. Uh, we have uh, all of everything we need to actually uh you know transition along uh to a resource-based economy we just need to come together and do it and uh we need to always look towards uh, actions that are actionable and actions that are going to bring us closer to a transition um then further away from it and um that comes with togetherness and then developing systems by which we can be together and by keeping that in mind and continuing to talk about um a better future and one that is uh, actionable and within our grasp. What is really needed is the intelligent management of the Earth's resources. A resource-based economy is based on the carrying capacity of the Earth and its resources. If you don't work in terms of existing resources, you're working in some metaphysical plane. In a resource-based economy, all resources would become the common heritage of all the world's people, and access to the necessities of life would be for all the world's people. There would be no more monetary systems or trade, barter, or any other system of human servitude. A resource-based economy allows social advancement and worldwide reconstruction in the shortest time possible. Under scientific scales of performance, we can provide everybody with more than they need. 
I'm saying that the average person in this Venus Project will live better than the wealthiest people today. To learn more about this incredible vision of a resource-based economy, the world that could be, check out the Venus Project's website, their documentaries and books. And speaking of books, Matt wasn't in this episode because he's finalizing the long-awaited Moneyless Society book, which is out now. Go on down to our website and get a copy of this long-awaited blueprint to the transition. And if you're already on board with this vision, reach out and join us. Join our organization to help us create a real pathway to sustainability together. There are so many of us out there who understand, who see the potential, who know that it's possible. We just have to do it. We can't sit around waiting for this system to collapse or for the culture to catch up to us. Enough of us get it. Enough of us see the potentials and have the skills, the knowledge, the science, and the understanding to make it happen. We just have to come together and do it. That's what our organization and our movement is about, building steps to that beautiful vision that Jacques Fresco spent his entire life developing. And finally, creating that future world today.